Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Peter, the third chapter. Now, who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. and Do not be intimidated, but in your hearts, sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Keep your conscience clear so that when you are maligned, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if suffering should be God's will, than to suffer for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were saved through water. And baptism, which this prefigured, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Uh, welcome. Let's uh, join in prayer together. Our Father in heaven, we ask that as we continue our worship, thinking on these words of scripture from First Peter, that you would give us understanding and that we would find hope and encouragement in our life with Jesus and our understanding of all that he has done to bring us near you, to bring us back to ourselves and to bring us into our world that live very different lives. So meet us, Father, Son, and Spirit in these words we ask in Jesus' name, uh, amen. So I want you to think about a question as we think about this text. And the question is just very simply this, what is the normal that we all want to return to after the pandemic? It's easy in a moment of lockdown to lament, to experience grief of all kinds of losses in this moment. But I wanna just think with you for a moment about the, the normal that we've left. Uh, before the pandemic, David Brooks, the author, columnist for the New York Times characterized uh, that normal as uh, life related to a hyper-individualism, social isolation, distrust, polarization uh, that we saw everywhere in politics and even ordinary conversations, the breakdown of family, the loss of real community, tribalism, uh, rising mental health problems, a spiritual crisis that he argued stemmed from a loss of sense of ultimate purpose in life. Now, when you put it that way, most of us can recognize that that normal was not healthy and not good. 
And the chaos of this pandemic uh, has done what chaos always does. It stirs the pot. It disrupts life as we take it for granted and becomes an occasion and a moment for real change and a moment for us to rethink normal. Yesterday, I was teaching a group of 10 seminarians at Missio Seminary in a Zoom classroom experience that was certainly less than ideal for me and for them. And I asked them just this very simple question that's related. It was, what, is the, what are the surprises that are coming out of your experiences of lockdown? Uh, what have they included that have surprised you in a good way, not necessarily a bad way or not at all a bad way? And one person commented on the freedom uh, that they think this was a pastor who's pastored a church that has a long tradition of living life and worshiping inside of a building that they slowly begin to associate everything about church with. And the pandemic has forced them to think about their life together, together differently, their relationships, the people differently. Another person commented that it's interesting that um, we often think of persons that have some type of disability or some unique situation in life. Maybe they're elderly, maybe they're, they're sick and they're stuck at home. We think of them as the anomaly and yet every one of us are now having to worship in the context of our homes. So maybe we're building greater empathy for experiences in the world that we're easily, that we easily forget. Another person said that, well, I find that I'm more likely to say hello to a neighbor because I'm not rushing off to some event or running my kids to a sporting event. Even though work and home life sometimes feel indistinguishable in this moment, another person said, well, I actually see my wife more than ever. And I see my kids more than ever. And everyone that has a dog or a puppy knows that this is doggy heaven because they're with people so much more. One student spoke of even a great goodbye Zoom meeting that his wife experienced from her office last week. He said, it's ironic because we think of being in presence, in the presence of one another, we might say goodbye better, but in reality on Zoom, everyone was actually focused on his wife and her parting rather than finding a person they were familiar with or they liked or falling into the same old clicks of conversation. And last night, all graduates got to experience President Obama as a speaker for their graduation this year. So there's some really odd things that we're discovering that are good in this particular moment. Think about that as we read these letters or this word from Peter in his first letter. Remember back in chapter one that he opens the letter with an acknowledgement that suffering is real for the congregations of his day, for the individual Christians that were following Jesus in his day. But the rest of Peter's letter, he begins to open up our imagination for life in this space of suffering, even chaotic spaces of suffering in surprising ways that we might live as a people of hope. Here in verse 13, as our text begins, Peter asks this very simple question, who will harm you if you do good? Now we hold that question and immediately we wanna say, well, no one surely will harm you if you do good. But if we think about that question a little more deeply, particularly in reference to the life of Jesus, we know better than to say no one will harm you because Jesus was perfect goodness and perfect love embodied in our world like no other, and yet he was crucified. Love isn't always reciprocated 
in this world, especially if um, it invites change for this world or for what this world takes as normal or takes for granted as good. Peter urged his reader at the time to enact the pattern of Jesus's goodness and his love anyway, regardless of their particular life circumstances. He believed, it seems from this letter, that life lived in love like Jesus's was in fact their message of hope. Look at what he says in verse 15. He says, be ready to give an account of your hope to anyone that asks. So how is it that we embrace the kind of life of hope that people might inquire of. Peter gives us some instruction and some guidance in that practice of hope or a life of hope and love. At verse 14, he urged them to not fear what they fear. Fear is a curious word for us. It's easier for us sometimes to understand it through negative illustrations or references. Some of you have heard me share before uh, a story about my mother-in-law. Sorry if you're listening, mother-in-law. Um, but uh, she is terrified of snakes. And so what that means practically in a place like Georgia is that snakes can be found in the yard. And if she sees one or someone else spies one, every movement that she might take is done in reference to the snake. You could think about your own fears. What is it that concerns you or that you're tending to worry about? You begin to fixate on these things and it becomes a narrowed focus in your life. And that's all you think about and it guides every other move you make. What Peter is urging the church to do here, the Christians, the followers of Jesus, is to not order their lives and their living by the patterns that they would observe in the broken world. Think about that in light of David Brooks' comment that we mentioned earlier. It would mean to live in such a way as to break the cycle of hyper-individualism or the kind of polarization that we see in our world or other things like envy and our tendency to compare, our tendency to critique and condemn one another so readily. And our also our desire when we suffer, uh, particularly an act of injustice, our impulse toward retaliation. Peter says that in our hearts, we set our gaze and our interest upon something else. Verses 15 and 16, instead sanctify Christ as Lord of your hearts. Think about that language. It feels very religious to us to sanctify Jesus in our hearts. What does that mean? To sanctify something in our lives, at least within the terms of scripture, means to value it, to set it apart, to understand its difference, to fix perhaps our desires upon that thing. Within scripture, the heart is a metaphorical way of talking about our deepest sense of self, what is most true of us. And so here, Peter asks us to consider that place within our deepest self that holds our deepest longings, our deepest desires, our deepest loves. Peter invites his reader to fix their deepest loyalty and their love upon Jesus, upon the story of all that God is doing in our world through him to put all of life right, to bring it back into a right way of relating to God, to bring us back into a right way of relating to other human beings, our neighbors, our closest neighbors, our family members even, to bring us back into a way of relating to our vocation that feels more like an honest life work balance in which we find ourselves utilizing our gifts in a free flowing way rather than a selfish, self-oriented way. 
There's a parallel, I think, here with the things that Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Hallow him, we might think of, in relation to that prayer. And this requires more than mere mental assent or agreement about Jesus as Lord or who Jesus is as the Son of God. It requires us to consent to the relationship itself. It requires the cultivation of love across time and circumstance, learning what Jesus loves and learning the things that are on his heart that he wants, and then beginning subtly to find shifts in our own loves where we want what he wants. We want the good that he imagines for ourselves and for our neighbor. So it requires consenting to the God who already loves us. We are upon his heart. And so we consent to receive his love and to receive this God. When Peter adds this language about conscience and conduct, he means for us to think about a clear conscience as something that's far more greater, far larger than simply being true to yourself or true to your own personal moral principles. He means that the Christian community is a community that is growing to love that which the one we love loves living more and more in a way that fits the love of Jesus. Again, perhaps paralleling that prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Peter assumed that conduct that arises out of that love, that kind of a effort toward a clear conscience in which our loves are growing more and more aligned with Jesus's loves, that that conduct was the message that the Christians had to offer the world. It's a living world, the way, word rather, the way Jesus is a living word. It's incarnate in the world amidst varied life circumstances, even circumstances that might have included injustice in places of misunderstanding in their everyday lives. Peter finishes this particular part of the text with a strange reminder that can feel a little bumpy to us, perhaps. He reminds us of Holy Saturday, the events of Holy Saturday, a day that we don't often talk about very much. It's a day of stillness and silence and even sadness for the disciples as they waited for the resurrection of Jesus, though they didn't even know they were waiting for it. But it is a day in which Peter says, Jesus was proclaiming the story of God's release from death even to the dead. And then Peter gestures to the story of Noah's deliverance from the flood. He says, you could think of that as your baptism. It's similar to deliverance out of the flood. God has done something for us in the person of Jesus that has taken us through the chaotic waters of this broken world and brought us literally now into the very presence of God in which we experience, even in the middle of the broken world, something of the new creation in the way we live with God and the way we begin to live with neighbor. All of this in order to anchor their hope their imagination in the deep and wide love of Jesus, who has honored them by his own love for them as he set them upon his heart. So here we are in the middle of the chaos and storm of COVID-19. You're probably ready to stop talking about it. I'm ready to stop talking about it, but it is the reality of the storm in which we live.
When you listen to the news media or you pull up your news feed, you know that opinions abound about sheltering in place and when the economy should open up or states should open up or the city should open up. When will we open up church again in the same old way that we used to worship? All of these thoughts and opinions abound, and not only are there opinions about opening up or getting out of sheltering place, but there is plenty of blame being flung around, right? You've heard it as well. Who is at fault for not being ready? Who is at fault for COVID-19? And on and on it goes as we peer into the fog of this chaotic moment. Peter's words in this moment remind us of the ultimate story of Jesus's suffering and his resurrection, and more his promise to finish that which he started as the very basis of how we will respond and act and love in this moment. How would God have you love this week, where you are with the people that you are, those that are undoubtedly beginning to sort of bring out your worst responses, how would reconnecting with the story of Jesus who has loved you help you to love differently in the coming week? That's the word that I think we have from this text this morning as we think about our response both personally and with our neighbors as in our world peering into the fog of COVID-19, that we would remember the deep truth that Jesus has loved us and so we should love as we have been loved. May God give us grace to receive this love and to live in this love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.